At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though. That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And great to have you here recording again on a Sunday night because I am an idiot. I'm just kidding. I am. I might be an, <laughs> I might be an idiot, but I got another solo show for you this week because of my own poor planning. I don't know. Um, long story short, I thought I had scheduled um, an episode to record this week with a guest, or I should say last week, but alas, it was the following week that I set it up for. So I'm actually, I actually have two interviews next week that I'm doing. Um, so next week's show will be an interview, but today, uh, back to the solo show. And I want to kick off today's solo show on this Sunday, this Mother's Day Sunday, as I record late Sunday night, by wishing all of the moms out there a happy Mother's Day. Hopefully everyone had a, hopefully all the moms had a restful day, got to do some things that they enjoy um, with their kids and uh, and family. Um, I know that I had a good time with uh, with my wife today and uh, our daughter, Ruby. Um, we, were at, we were at a wedding on Saturday, which I'll talk about later. It actually kind of ties into a topic I'm going to discuss. But so the wedding was Saturday and uh, Sunday. We had a little little brunch after the wedding and uh, it was in downtown Pittsburgh. So we live in the suburbs. We don't make it into the big city that often. And uh, if, you, if you've ever been to downtown Pittsburgh, if you've been to uh, Mount Washington, maybe if you haven't been to Pittsburgh, maybe you've seen pictures of the uh, you know, of the skyline uh, of Pittsburgh from Mount Washington. It really is a beautiful view. And uh, years ago, uh, in my younger days, I used to live on Mount Washington and run along that strip. Um, one of my favorite uh, favorite times. Great memories up there. Um, but anyway, we decided to stop up there, uh, get some pictures uh, from the Overlook, ride the the incline because um, Ruby loves to ride the incline. If you don't know what the incline is. Essentially, it is a trolley car that goes down a very steep hill and then back up a very steep hill. I'm not going to call it. It is called Mount Washington, but it's really not a mountain, uh, more like a very steep hill. Um, so we did that, walked around a little bit at the bottom, rode back up. And uh, and then as luck would have it, as we're walking back to our car, uh, my wife saw a sign at a storefront at a restaurant, uh, catch the corner of her eye. Um, for dragon fruit margaritas. So we stopped for some dragon fruit margaritas and for tacos. And if you're 
playing along at home and you've been listening to this show, um, you know my recent history with tacos. So I was a little bit hesitant, but it is Mother's Day. So went ahead. We went and uh, my wife got a margarita. We got some tacos. Fingers crossed. Still healthy at this point. And uh, I know last week I talked about, I thought that I was out of the woods when I recorded last week. I was not. Um, I uh, It was... Monday and Tuesday, I was I was sick as a dog last week, and Tuesday was my 40th birthday, so that was uh, that was not fun. That was it was actually pretty terrible, but I'm good now, mostly on the mend and eating tacos again. So uh, so life is good, and so that's that. That's that's where I am right now. Um, and after this uh, long day, and then tonight, um, Ruby and I, mostly me, if I'm being honest. Uh, cook dinner for Nicole. Ruby normally helps, you know, with uh, with the cooking. She'd peel all the potatoes, which is uh, which is the grunt work for the mashed potatoes. So that was that was awesome. Uh, but we cooked a nice dinner: steak, potatoes, and green beans. Mashed potatoes and green beans um, for Nicole, and uh, the wrap of a great Mother's Day. And got to FaceTime with my mom, and we'll celebrate with her next week. She was off visiting my my brother in Maryland, her favorite son, probably. So we'll catch up with her next week. But hopefully everyone out there got to spend some time, if you're able, uh, with your with your mother. Um, important day. Moms are very important. You know, maybe, no, I, I'm going to say, yeah, being a mom is the most important job out there. And, you know, having an, an intact family unit, two parents, extremely important. Important to have that, you know, that mom that is, uh, you know, nurturing and active um, in a child's life is uh, basically irreplaceable. And hopefully, you know, in this country, that's something that isn't isn't totally going away because it does seem like a lot of motherhood has been outsourced to daycare and nannies and, um, you know, the, the working moms and nothing against working moms. I know, you know, people, you know, people want to work. They want to chase their dreams. They got to put, uh, put food on the table. But just don't want to minimize the importance of of moms and uh, you know stay at home moms. So anyway, I'll get down off my soapbox before I get right back up on it and talk about a different topic. So Joe Biden, shockingly, in the news again, shockingly stoking racial flames. Um, stockingly speaking, stockingly, I'm shockingly, I'm speaking very angrily into a microphone. At graduation for an historical black college, and we're going to play the audio. Um, it's not the best quality audio because I, I don't know why. Maybe there's better out there. All I could find it, it does have a little bit of a little bit of an echo to it. So if you're listening, you know, in your car, you're listening in your headphones, you might have to bump the volume down a little bit just to give you a warning. Um, please be safe if you're driving or something. Um, don't. Uh, don't worry, it's not that big of a deal. You can listen to it. So let's let's get to that right now. And let's hear Joe Biden. Joe Biden calls the most dangerous threat to our homeland white supremacy. Then he says, I'm not just saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. HBCU, of course, stands for historically black college or university. Um, key part being historically black. And he says, I'm at a black HBCU as opposed to what a white HBCU. I don't know. It's Joe Biden. You got to, uh, you got to, got to give the guy grief, especially 
when he is trying to divide this country in a very, very dangerous way. So let's bring it up here and hear from our president, the commander in chief, the angry man who can only string together string together sentences when he is dividing the country. We know that American history has not always been a fairy tale. From the start, it's been a constant push and pull for more than 240 years between the best of us, the American ideal that we're all created equal, and the worst of us, the harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us, to choose love over hate, unity over disunity, progress over retreat, to stand up against the poison white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. I'm not saying this because I'm of a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. I stand up for truth over lies, lies told for power and profit. To confront the ongoing assault to subvert our elections, suppress our right to vote. Okay, that's enough from Joe Biden there. Now, I will say this, you know, if there actually was a problem in this country um, with white supremacy, then this would be a very, very bold speech that is saying, you know, the right ways to combat it. People needing to stand up, people needing to speak out, um, you know, we needing to see progress and uh, people coming together around the best qualities in each other. Um, if white supremacy was this huge problem, that would be a, a good solution. That, that would actually be an admirable thing to do, him speaking out against it and providing. Uh, the path forward. The problem is that white supremacy is not a problem in this country and hasn't been in my entire lifetime. Now, that's not to say that there aren't any white supremacists. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there aren't any racist people. Of course, there are racist people. Of course, there are hateful people. Of course, there are dangerous, violent people. I'm not saying that. What I am disputing, which I think any reasonable, rational person would dispute, is Joe Biden saying that the largest threat. Just not trying to get that to play again. Um, anyway, I don't think that that came through. <laughs> I mistakenly hit the play button on Joe Biden again. That's not from you, Joe. That is enough. I don't want to hear it again. Um, he called it the most dangerous threat to our homeland. To, I, hate, I hate the word homeland. It sounds like we're living in Nazi Germany or something. Um, to our homeland being white supremacy, which is crazy. It's almost like, you know, if we so say we turn the clock back to 1993, 1993, I'm 10 years old. Bill Clinton um, is president, right? And uh, from 1993 to 2023, that's 30 years. 
first, I would say, imagine the politician in the 90s giving a speech like this, a Democratic politician giving a speech like this, calling white supremacy and racism a problem, a, uh, a, a systemic problem throughout culture. You're calling it the largest problem in the United States. You're saying it's everywhere. It's embedded in everything. Um, that would be insane to do that in the 90s, the early 2000s. And, you know, if somebody wants to go back and dig up some a politician saying something like that, um, I'm sure that there have been some things on the fringe uh, where politicians have spoken that way. Um, Al Sharpton, I'm sure, has said some things like that. But to have it being like the theme of this is like literally one of the only things Joe Biden and the Democrat Party talk about is how racist everyone is. So it's it's crazy. It's crazy for me to think like if we just look back to Bill Clinton being president and Bill Clinton giving a speech like this, angry, just angry, divisive, pulling people apart. It would be crazy to watch. And it didn't happen. And then the other crazy thing, if we think back to these last 30 years, for almost a third of it, a black man was president of the United States. Barack Obama was president from 2008 to 2016. Now, how could we live in a country where the most dangerous threat and the largest problem as pointed out by our Democrat Party, is white supremacy when a when they've elected a black man to be president of the United States. Now the Democrats the Democrats can't elect a president alone just with their people. They have to sway Republicans. They have to sway independents. Um, it's insane. And, and there weren't like all kind. Like, and when Barack Obama was president, there weren't like all kinds of you know demonstrations and violent attacks happening. And there was none of that. So it's crazy. It's absolutely bonkers to see this today, to see how the Democrats use black people as pawns in order to divide, in order to, um, you know, stoke the, uh, the flames of racism and actually create racism, which is disgusting. I mean, Joe Biden is creating more racism than probably any president, at least in the last 50 years, I would say actively creating racists because when you start telling people that they are racist they are white white supremacists that they that they they have this problem that they have this hate in their heart they're going to start to believe it um and but just by doubt people will start to act that way oh if you're going to call me a white supremacist maybe i am white supremacist i mean this is the, the this is what will happen this is psychological and maybe this is what they want to happen but the whole thing is just so totally absurd. Like if you just take a step back and just live your life, like for example, this past weekend, like I said, I was at a wedding. Um, it was my wife's family. A, uh, a relative in her family was was the bride, a, uh, a white girl, um, married a black guy. So the wedding essentially was 50% white, 50% black. And there were no fights. There were no disagreements. People were dancing together and celebrating together and laughing and having a good time. And when you like look at that reality, like when you're like in the moment, like, yes, I'm not crazy. 
I'm existing in this space in time that is reality, and you see it, and then you look on Twitter and you see Joe Biden saying that everyone, you know, half the country's racist or white supremacist. It's just bonkers, man. Like, so I would just convince people, you know, rather than getting, or I would recommend people, I would persuade people. Not hopefully by doing that, I'm able to convince you. Um, to start to like experience things, man. I mean, I, I know that the pandemic happened, the lockdowns more so happened where they locked us in our homes, they shut down businesses, they masked people up, they forcefully vaccinated people. All of that happened. Now we're back in semi-normal times, which is which is good. And I would convince people to really take advantage of living in normal times. And when I say that, what I mean is like, and I, this is, I am guilty of this too. And I'm going to start challenging myself to make these same changes. Let me get a quick drink of water here. So when you're out at a restaurant, maybe you're on a work trip and you, so you're at a work trip, you go to, it's rare to go to a restaurant by yourself unless you're on a work trip. So here's an example. So you're on a work trip, you're at a restaurant or at a bar by yourself, getting food, getting a drink. Um, what, what do people do? Like when you look around the bar, especially like in, a, in a hotel lobby bar, um, you see everyone there on their phone, staring at their phone. Maybe they'll glance up at the TV, stare at their phone. They'll talk to the bartender for a second, stare at their phone. They'll eat their food, stare at their phone. And it's it's become this thing where like we've stopped interacting with like complete strangers to a large degree. Not entirely, of course. Um, same thing happens. Like you go to the grocery store. I'm guilty of this too. Okay, so you get go through grocery store, get your groceries, all that stuff. If you don't go to self-checkout, which... At the grocery store, if I have a, a big cart, I will not go to self-checkout because they're not paying me. I will go to somebody who's going to you know, scan my groceries for me and put them in a bag because you're not paying me to do that. Um, people who work there are being paid so, so they can do it. If I'll, I'll wait five, 10 minutes um, for someone to do that for me most of the time. Um, so when you're waiting in line, what's the first thing you do? Like, oh, start looking at your phone in your pocket. Instead of like interacting with the person in front of you in line, the person behind you in line, uh, just looking around, being observant, looking around at what's happening around you. So I, w- I just want to challenge the listeners today, challenge myself um, to start to be present, you know, not just when you're with your family. I think we all need to do a better job of that or family, friends, um, all that stuff. We can all do better there, but be present in you know, outside settings, have interactions with people who don't look like you, who, who are, you know, come from a different background. And if we start doing this more often and more frequently, um, you really, it's, it, it becomes impossible. It will become impossible to reconcile what you're seeing, like politicians saying and all this stuff on Twitter, um, comparing that to just reality. Like if you go to like a, a party, a dinner party, you know, with friends and uh, assuming politics aren't being discussed, which, you know, most of the time when I'm going to like over a friend's house, um, unless it's, you know, a certain friend who, you know, maybe we talk politics already. Uh, most of the time, especially if it's, you know, people from the left, I, I won't talk politics at all. Um, I, I'm not like, I, I've been through the phase with most of my friends that we've, we've talked through these things. They know where I stand. I know where they stand, um, you know, disagree on a lot of topics, especially my friends who are on the left. But 
like we still have a lot in common. Um, we're still, you know, human beings who, who share this, uh, this bond of friendship um, that is based on something in our past, you know, maybe based on a common upbringing, you know, maybe based on playing on a sports team together when we were younger, um, you know, and, and not just only looking to the past, but looking to the future, planning to do things together with those friends, you know, maybe going to a, a football game to, to tailgate, um, different things like that. And this is like a totally bonkers, you know, I'm all over the place on this rant, but I just get so fed up with, and I think it's become easier and easier for politicians to control people and divide people today because we are so tied up in this virtual world. I'm guilty of this too. Like I'm pointing two fingers back at myself for doing this. I need to do a better job of it. Um, We are so tied up in this virtual world that they're able to control us. We're having our opinions assigned to us. Um, Or even if we don't agree, of course, if we don't agree with the opinions, like I disagree with Joe Biden, he's still influencing me in some way. He's still causing me to react. I'm creating this podcast. But hopefully by creating this podcast and the angle I'm taking, um, the takeaway, you know, what I'm trying to persuade others to do, hopefully this will lead to a positive result and not just negative um, anger, which that was my first reaction when I saw this video um, from uh, the president of the United States. Uh, what's his middle name? Like Robitaille or something, Biden? I can't remember. Joe, <laughs> Joe, whatever his middle name is, Biden. Um, but it just, it just blows my mind. And it was, it's so cool. And another cool thing about this wedding, which is kind of unrelated, but I think it's awesome when, uh, um, people do this when a bride and groom do this, when they invite kids to the wedding. I know this is like people be separated on this and I know not everyone can invite like kids to weddings, you know, it's cost money, all that stuff. Get it. hundred percent. There's uh, restraints there. We had, I mean, we had some kids at our wedding, but uh, we, we kept it, we kept it limited to certain family members, but it just so happened that this wedding, you know, it was like everyone who had a kid, not everyone, but a lot of people were able to bring kids like family, close family members were able to bring kids. And I think that's like so important for, you know, like my daughter Ruby was able to come with us and a lot of people would be like, Oh, well you had to bring your daughter. You couldn't you know, totally have a good time and relax. Um, yeah, I mean, I still had a great time. It was just, it was different, but it's so, it was so important for her to see that for a uh, seven and a half year old girl to see a wedding, to participate in that. I remember when I was a kid going to weddings and, you know, dance on dance floor with my brother and sister and cousins. Ruby got to do the same thing with her cousins and a little more distant relatives. And this is such an important experience. And when I see things like this, it just makes me even more angry about what the government did to us um, with the lockdowns and telling people they couldn't gather and couldn't get together. And we had to socially distance and we had to mask and I just think of all of the lost opportunities of seven and eight-year-old kids who could have maybe gone to a wedding, who could have gone to a family reunion, who could have interacted with people um, who maybe they, they'll never have the chance to because that person died. You know, they passed away during that time and they didn't, maybe that, that event was canceled or was postponed. And that, those moments being stolen, I mean, that is the unseen cost there's many. This is one of the biggest unseen costs of this, um, you know, government control uh, machine that occurred in 2020, 2021, and it makes me just so so upset to uh, to think about that again. 
But once again, to, to go back to turn this into a positive. So remember that, but take that anger and then, you know, take your kids to more events where they're with family, set something up with uh, distant family, have a family reunion, something like that. Um, I'll get off my soapbox before I get back up on a different soapbox. Um, next topic for today. So uh, there's an NBA player. I don't watch the NBA. Uh, I'll be, I will be the first to admit that I haven't watched the NBA since, uh, since Michael Jordan. Was playing. I've watched like a, I, I watched a couple of LeBron's games. You know, I used to watch him a little bit um, when it was LeBron and D Wade on the Heat. Um, watch games here and there, but like, like what, like when when Jordan played and I was a kid, I would watch every game I could, start to finish, watch the whole game. Playoffs, man. I watched every Bulls playoff game that I could. I was I was obsessed with it. Uh, I watch most mostly college basketball now. Uh, and, and Pittsburgh doesn't have a team. I just have no care about it. I have no rooting interest. And I, it's just like, I'm not going to start that at this point in my life. I'm not going to pick up a team. I'm not going to start a habit of watching the NBA, which is this huge time commitment. Um, why would I do that? But anyway, so there's a player in the NBA, Ja Morant, who he's had you know multiple um, instances where he's, I guess, displayed a gun on social media. And um, he's been, you know, he's been suspended. And there was a recent incident where, in a in a Facebook Live or an Instagram Live, where he did it again. And he's in a car with friends. Now I'll play the video in a second um, for, the, for those of you watching on video who want to go to our YouTube um, to watch this. Which, of course, you can see any of these videos. The Joe Biden one, this one on our YouTube page. Um, you can find us just uh, by searching "Lines of Liberty" on YouTube. Subscribe, bam, boom, and uh, you'll have us there. Don't forget to hit the bell at the top on YouTube. So you get notifications when we go live. Um, so he said he's had multiple issues with this and it's like a big deal, right? Like the NBA doesn't want somebody on social media displaying a gun, pointing it around all, all this stuff. And before I go any farther talking about this, I do want to show the video and then, uh, and then and we'll dive into, uh, really where, the, where, where I think the issue is with this and where I think some libertarians maybe are a little bit, um, a little bit off, um, which shocking, I know. Right. So here we go. Here is the video, the gun. It's very quick. Um, when, when, uh, when he shows it, here we go. He's sitting in the passenger seat. There, he just showed it there. That was him showing the gun. That'll turn this into an explicitly rated show. Um, a, little, a little bit of language there. Apologize, um, you know, if you have kids that are listening. I should have said that beforehand. Hopefully, um, kids were not listening. If they were, I really, I really do apologize. Um, this is going to be marked explicit. So you saw that e there when you clicked on it. You saw that. You did. Remember, don't blame me. Blame yourself for not <laughs> for playing this for your kids with that e next to it. Um, so here's what I think about this. So I've seen a couple takes on libertarian Twitter where people say, what is the NBA against, uh, against self-defense? Cause the NBA, you know, it's being floated out there. The commentators are talking heads are saying he should be suspended for a year 
for this video, which I think is kind of absurd. Um, he's had, I guess, m- multiple instances like this with a gun, um, showing a gun on social media. And uh, there was also an event at his house where he was playing basketball and got in a fight with, I think, a teenager who was playing basketball with him at his house. And he went in his house and got a gun and came out with a gun in his waistband, um, holding it with his hand on it. So really some dumb stuff. Like, let's just let's just call it what it is. Really, really stupid thing to do. Um, and irresponsible, irresponsible gun ownership. And so I would say to the libertarians who are saying, oh, what, the NBA? Like, are they against, like, self-defense? Because I, I assume these are guns that he owns legally. And what my response to these libertarians would be, um, no, the, the NBA is watching out for their image. And obviously the uh, demographic, a large percentage of those who are watching the NBA are, are black. They're young people. They're impressionable. And the NBA doesn't want an image where they are uh, platforming someone who is behaving irresponsibly with a firearm. And, you know, you would think that most libertarians would understand the importance of responsible firearm ownership and conducting yourself uh, responsibly, having trigger discipline, not pointing up, pulling a gun out and pointing in the air when you're in a car just for a rap song. Um, Just not smart stuff, very irresponsible gun ownership. Is it a crime? No. Should he be suspended? You know, I don't know. I'm not the, uh, I'm not the NBA commissioner. Like I said, I'm very disconnected from the league. You know, I think having some sort of punishment obviously is, uh, is probably necessary. Uh, you, you don't want this to become like a, a normal thing. You don't want to, I think more than anything, you don't want to promote irresponsible gun ownership. Now, what would be cool is if the NBA, like, cause I haven't seen it really called out like that. It's like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's basically just focusing on, oh, he has a gun. It's terrible. They should be focusing on, he has a gun and he's acting irresponsibly with it. It would be cool if there was like another NBA player or groups of NBA players who were like, yeah, we carry guns and we are responsible. And maybe there, maybe, you know, like I said, I don't follow it. Maybe there are people speaking out in this fashion. Hopefully they are, but this is what they should be doing. So I would be agreeing with them if they're already saying this. I don't know if they are. Um, they should be saying, yes, we carry a gun and, you know, I'm, I'm armed you know, the X amount of the time and I uh, carry for, you know, self-defense. And the way that he's acting is very irresponsible. And it's not the way that you should be acting with a firearm. Um, the only time that you would ever pull a firearm out of its holster um, is when uh, your own life is in danger. So pulling it out for a rap song, that's irresponsible behavior. That's dangerous behavior. That's not anything that we should be promoting, you know, as an NBA organization um, for, uh, you know, one of our players acting that way. So that, that's that's like the response. And I mean, ideally, I would love it if they would just use it as a platform to grow um, gun ownership, safe gun ownership, to learn how to become a responsible gun owner, to, um, directing um, fans and you know, people who, who follow the team to, you know, courses where they can learn to become responsible gun owners, how important this is, self-defense. And of course, it's never going to happen. And I'm not delusional. I know we live in a very leftist media world, a very leftist corporate world. And this includes NBA franchises, NFL franchises, Major League Baseball, NHL, all this stuff. They're all leftist um, to the T. They all follow the uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. 
and uh, they're afraid to. And and of course, it goes along with that is the gun control narrative that they all uh, they all fall in line with. So that's never going to happen. I'm just saying, like ideally, that's the response, and like ideally, that's how a libertarian or a conservative, anybody who is consistent on the Second Amendment, um, that's what they should be saying in response to this. I think that's really the only um, rational response. If you disagree with me, come let me know. Follow me on Twitter at John Odermatt. Send me an email, john at lionsofliberty.com. And let's uh, let's go to the next story here, the last one. So we're going to talk about the economy going in the uh, in the crapper, which uh, is really definitely happening now. Um, there's, there's a lot of indicators, um, but I do want to talk quickly, briefly here about an article from Zero Hedge. So an article in Zero Hedge titled, There Goes the U.S. Consumer Card Data Reveal First Drop in Household Spending in Two Years as Upper Income Wages Tumble and Unemployment Benefits Soar. So a couple, and there's a lot of charts in here. Zero Hedge is great with charts, but um, one chart here, which I believe is the second one down, I'm talking about this drop in consumer spending and, you know, looking at consumer spending, um, both total and what they did is it's an aggregate and this is bank, uh, bank of America aggregate of debit credit card spending. And then they, they split it up into retail for services. Then they have a, a total as well. And, uh, I might as well share it. I'll share the graph here on the screen for those following along at home. Why not share what the heck I'm looking at? Okay, so if you're looking, uh, if you're if you're looking on the YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, you can now see the graph that I am looking at. Trying to make it bigger for you. That might have made it smaller. Anyway, um, so I mean, the key takeaway here. So I'll say it again: Bank of America. Aggregated credit and debit card spending per household slowed further to minus 1.2 year over year in April, the first negative month year over year since February 2021. Um, you know, important to remember February 2021, that's during the pandemic. This was very much manipulated um, times, not really a good data point to compare to based with the entire world being shut down um, for more than a year. So, um, but it, it does it does show the trend, right? So so you can um, you can see obviously this clear downward trend. Um, the graph here is from July of 21 to April of 23, and you can see both the um, the retail and the total uh, total card spending um, dropping below zero. Um, the uh, the services still barely above um, barely above zero percent. So um, going to the, the next graph here uh, that I wanted to talk about. So uh, next one talks about in previous consumer checkpoints, Bank of America had discussed how the underlying consumer spending outlook hinges on not only shorter term factors such as lower tax refunds, but also the state of the labor market. Right. So we've had a very strong labor market for the past several years, even in the face of this high inflation, this out of control inflation, which has slowed a a little bit um, within the past year. So continuing on reading, in fact, the strength in the labor market 
both in terms of jobs and wage growth, has helped keep consumer spending in the face of higher prices, which is what I just said. Not sure why I read that again. <laughs> this is what I get for reading an article. But anyway, you, you get the point here. So um, recent data, including April's employment uh, report, suggests labor market labor markets remain tight by historical standards. The bank warns that there are broad signs of moderation in the labor market. Non-farm payrolls increased by 253,000 in April, down from the 2022 monthly average of 400,000. Similarly, the latest initial jobless claims data through May 11th spiked to 264,000, the highest print since October 2021, and far higher compared with the average of 214K in 2022. Meanwhile, in further signs of upcoming labor, mar- labor market turmoil, job openings. Now, this is, I think this is like the most important thing. This is what is really, I think, a key driver is what's what's going to drive this next recession or depression is when the labor market goes goes pop. And I th- it is going to happen. As uh, I mean, I already see it. I see it in companies. We're seeing the layoffs in the tech sector. Companies starting to tighten the belt, getting ready for what's coming, starting to hold more cash. So job openings fell in um, in March, fell 20% over the peak of a year ago. Uh, but perhaps most notably, there was further differentiation in the labor market among income groups. Now, this is interesting. Um Bank of America internal data offers additional insight into which people and households are seeing the clearest impact from the early labor market deterioration. The bank identified households receiving unemployment benefits through direct deposit and detected changes in trends across income cohorts. So the number of unemployment benefit recipients among higher income households increased, increased over 40% in April from the fairly low levels of a year ago. This was the fastest increase among all cohorts and five times more than the percent year-over-year increase for lower income recipients. So we're seeing the higher income owners being hit to a larger degree than the lower income owners. earners when it comes to an increase in unemployment benefits. Now, why is this important? Because what drives the economy? Um, So if I scroll down, there's there's more stuff bagging this up. So why does this all matter? Because when you look at what drives an economy, the highest 40% of households by income account for over 60% of overall consumer spending. So a labor market slowdown driven by higher end, by the higher end of the income scale. And I mean, not just, you know, people on on welfare suffering or, you know, lower income, of course they're suffering too, but when you have it at a larger degree being driven by the higher end, um, it could have a greatly outsized impact on the overall economy. And I would, I would think that this could make our recession. We could get to the worst phases of this recession, depression, um, more quickly um, because I mean, those who are higher income owners, higher income earners, more successful, um, generally make better decisions. They'll pull back, they'll save more. Um, and I think it could lead to a, a pretty rapid contraction really with the economy. So one more note here. So the flip side is that while the labor market is beginning to soften from very lofty initial position, it'll likely take quite some time for the full impact on con- uh, on consumer spending comes through. Maybe, I don't know about that. Um, savings balances. Is it, so this is, 
so maybe this, so they're saying this is why, because which doesn't like, this doesn't make entire sense to me. Um, so this next graph shows savings balances continue um, at a at a level much above 2019 pre government lockdown pandemic era. So um, de- deposit levels remain much uh, much higher, like up to seventy uh, percent uh, higher than the average in 2019. This is across all income cohorts. So they're measuring like. T- over 250K, 150 to 250, 100 to 150, 50 to 100 and less than 50K. And when you look at the graph 2019, there was a big spike up at 2020 as people, you know, nobody could travel. Of course, people were saving. I was saving a ton of money back then. Plus the government's giving out checks. And there's even a bigger spike in uh, in 2021. That's when they were real. That, that might've been the second stimulus payment. People still really can't travel. Then it comes down. People start spending money. Spikes up a little bit in early 2022. And then spikes down. That's probably more like a seasonal thing around, uh, I guess that's the beginning of 2022. Spikes up and then back down again, then spikes up at the beginning of 2023. And now we're going back down again in savings, but it's still very elevated, which is interesting. What I was saying before, this doesn't really mesh with like what I've seen with the increase in credit card debt. Kind of what this tells me is that people are accruing more and more credit card debt but they're still saving money, which is interesting. Um, it's 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 a sort of inter- interesting phenomenon that people continue to save and then not pay their credit card bills. Um, now, what I think is happening here, if this is indeed what's happening, unless I'm totally missing this and there's, there's some other factor here, people don't want to get caught in the same position as what happened to many people when they lost their job, their business was shut down. In 2020, they maybe didn't have the savings they wanted to. So yeah, they'll build up some credit card debt because they're still trying to live. They're still trying to keep up with inflation. They're trying to buy a car. They're trying to buy a house. They're trying to do all these different things. Um, but at the same time, they want to have that that safety net. So sure, credit card interest rates go up. It's going to screw them in that regard. But they, they still have some defense in their savings. They can battle back a little bit. Now, I would not advise anyone to act this way. Uh, I think rather than having the savings, you should probably pay off as much debt as you can. You should obviously always have some savings, but if you're literally like accruing credit card debt at a similar rate to your savings growing, um, that just doesn't make sense. And that's just a a misallocation of uh, your financial portfolio you need to fix, obviously. Um, I don't think that's anything that anything groundbreaking there, but that's all I want to talk about with uh, the the changes with uh, U.S. consumer spending, and um, just yeah, just wanted to touch on that. So, you know, we talked about Joe Biden, white supremacy, the division that we have in this country. We talked about uh, John Morant, the NBA player, uh, being irresponsible as a gun owner, and we talked about the coming economic collapse, which uh, maybe we're starting to see some signs of that speeding up with uh, reductions in consumer spending. And, you know, I've, it, just to go back to consumer spending for a minute, you know, I've, we've definitely changed our spending habits as a family, you know, speaking for myself, uh, compared to 2019. 
Um, just totally different, really different allocation of how we spend our money. And it's interesting that I wouldn't be surprised if there's really an overall uh, macro trend to this, but um, we are saving more as a percentage of our income compared to 2019. Um, I do, yeah, we also more short term savings, keeping that number higher. Uh, and at the same time, at least me and maybe more people are doing this as well. And this could also um, kind of factor into way, the way people are thinking as they're still accruing credit card debt, they're also increasing their savings or at least maintaining their savings. I think people understand that we're coming into uncertain economic times and there is going to be some opportunity. Um, so maybe they are keeping trying to maintain that savings level so they're able to capitalize maybe on some of these uh, you know, discounted prices coming up, maybe to, to buy a house after the housing market um, goes goes kaboom, when commercial real estate goes kaboom. Um to scoop up some property to buy to buy some uh, to buy some raw land things like that, so that, that's where my thought process is. So I'm sure a lot of other people are thinking the same way. That probably is at least a part of the uh, part of the driver. But interesting stuff. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode today. If you did, um, why don't you support the show? You should. Hopefully you're, you're subscribed to this um, channel at least, the Lions of Liberty. Uh, network to wherever you listen to podcast. If you're not, just go up and uh, subscribe. Hit that little plus sign on Apple. They make it so hard to subscribe nowadays or follow whatever they call it. Um, and it looks like Apple's like gotten rid of re- gotten rid of reviews. I haven't been able to find them. I don't know what happened to five star reviews, leaving the rating and leaving a comment. I can't find it on my phone, so I, I got to look into that. If anybody knows like where that is now, please um, send me a message. And uh, so please do that. And then also, if you're not a patron, if you're not supporting us, um, we would really appreciate it if you would. Um, Brian and I uh, do put a lot into our bonus content. We put a lot into um, the perks that we give our Pride members. You can join uh, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, lionsofliberty.locals.com. We'd love to have you. And like I said last week, we are looking to figure out more ways to engage directly um, with our pride members um, because Facebook is a piece of garbage and uh, there's better ways out there. And we just need to, uh, to make some changes on that end. And uh, we do have a ton of bonus content. You know, Brian has his daily rants. Um, Every interview that I do is going to have up to 99% are going to have a bonus segment attached to them. I have two next week. I'll be recording 15 minute at a minimum um, bonus sections with them. So please join the Lions of Liberty Pride. And lastly, so there's a second feed, a second Finding Freedom feed. Um, if you're someone who wants to share maybe just this episode or maybe just the Finding Freedom feed, just with my stuff, if you just want to share that or if, or if you just want to follow that, um, of course, I'd love to have you follow Lions of Liberty and the Finding Freedom feed, but um, if you're not going to do both, just please, at the at the very least, subscribe to my Finding Freedom feed or subscribe, I should say, and subscribe to Brian's um, meme age or meme mean age daydream feed. But you can find my Finding Freedom feed anywhere just by uh, searching Finding Freedom and then John Odermatt, and it'll, it'll definitely pop up. And I'm going to be posting a couple of recent interviews that I've done. I was on the Christian Libertarian podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'll be posting that this week. I was also on a radio show slash podcast called The Power Hour. That was a freaking awesome show. Crazy. 
Uh, we talked about some wild stuff. Uh, so check that out. I'm going to be posting both of those. Um, probably not both this week, probably one this week, one next week. And uh, I'm, go- I'm going on more shows. <laughs> so if you're someone who has a show and would like to have me on, um, feel free to reach out. I am prioritizing larger audiences first. Um, so the bigger people with bigger audiences, of course, um, that's just the way capitalism works. Those are the ones that I devote my time to first. But I'm looking like like once every two weeks, I'm looking to go on another podcast, promote what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, and, uh, and bring more people to the show. We will be at Porkfest in June. So if you're going to Porkfest, look forward to seeing you there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Hopefully everyone has a great week this week. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning. Oh, 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 oh,